Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors, help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. So there are at least two approaches to the ecological questions of our day, panic and delight. Today in the spirit of Francis of Assisi, I wanna make the case for the second. God invites us when it comes to the environment to approach with awe and reverence. God asks us to delight in creation. And I know that the case that I'm about to make may seem countercultural. It may seem uh, like a bunch of nonsense, right? And the other morning after an early yoga class, I overheard a conversation between a couple of UNM PhD types at the studio. One said something like this, every year the climate is getting more unpredictable. We're not far from a tipping point of total climate chaos. And it sure can feel that way. Certainly, more of our fellow human beings are suffering from climate disaster than when I was a kid. I drove away from yoga that morning a little more nervous than when I entered the studio. We are living in the Anthropocene, a fancy new word scientists are using to say that in this age of the Earth, human activity drives the climate more than any other factor. By almost any measure, our collective management of our environment is a disaster. But the responses we are offered generally also leave a great deal to be desired. So many of the so-called responses offered for human-driven climate change are insufficient. Buy yourself an electric car. Purchase solar panels just for your home. You know, you can get a new, more energy-efficient washer and dryer. The truth is we won't consume our way out of our ecological reality. (laughs) And I'm concerned. I'm honestly concerned about this because I think some of the marketers are exploiting our societal panic about the environment. We can't consume our way out. But in a consumerist society, what other choice do we make? Well, friends, there are lots of choices, many choices that we can make. They are many and varied and wide. But the kind of choices we can make, which will have an impact on our planet and on our souls, they're not easy choices today. The choices which we could make, the choices that could make a difference, they don't come with slick marketing campaigns. You won't find them scrolling through Instagram or between the innings of a baseball game on TV. These kind of choices are subtle and slow. In the spiritual life, the best choices are often subtle and slow. In today's gospel, Jesus thanks God because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have shown them to infants. Spirituality is about recovering a childlike capacity for wonder, for awe, for hope. 
Faith is about letting go of all we think we know, all the doomsaying around us. Religion is meant to be about listening and watching, really attending to the environment in which we find ourselves. And in this, we have a great companion, a teacher in Francis of Assisi, that 12th century monk. I had a spiritual director in college, and he once gave me an assignment a Catholic priest, uh, and specifically a Holy Ghost father, if you play those games, uh, his name was Father Mike. And that's the reason I won't ever ask anyone to call me Father Mike. That character has already been cast for me. <laughs> but Father Mike handed me a VHS copy of Zeffirelli's Brother Son and Sister Moon. And first I had to find a VHS player I could borrow to watch it. <laughs> Truth be told, it was a little cheesy. I don't know if you've seen it. But there's this scene where young Francesco stands before an angry bishop. He's in trouble for giving away his father's possessions, expensive fabric, the manufacture of which had made Francesco's family wealthy. And as his father and the bishop accuse him, Francesco begins taking off his clothes, handing them to his father. The bishop tries to cover him up with his own very expensive silk vestment, but Francesco passes it to a poor man. And Francesco walks away in this scene from all the symbols of wealth and power. He walks away from the expectations of family and church. Francis's early biographers recount almost exactly this story. Our Franciscan neighbor here in Albuquerque, Richard Rohr, says that most of the people who consider themselves biblical literalists aren't. <laughs> Richard says that the only person he knows in all of Christian history who was a biblical literalist was Francis of Assisi. And Francis didn't find his path in the ready-made ways of his society. And Francis chose a different way of being in the world. Not what could be purchased by his parents, not the glory of a soldier's exploit, not even the known path within the church. Francis felt God calling him out into nature and down among those who had been cast out. Francis spent time with lepers and beggars and out in creation. In that scene in Zeffirelli's movie, Francis keeps quoting Jesus in the Gospels as he's shedding clothes and walking away. Built into Francis's spirituality was an intentional humility and simplicity. Deciding to give up on the ways of the world might seem hopelessly complex. And trying to live just a little bit more ecologically in our society can seem nearly impossible. And Francis not only made it look easy, he insisted that it was easy. Today we hear Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Our presiding bishop likes to lean into this. He says, Come to me, all ye, all y'all. We're all carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest, Jesus says. For Francis, conversion wasn't painful. It wasn't difficult to give it all up. Conversion was freeing. 
Francis understood Jesus' yoke to be easy, Christ's burden to be light. For Francis, he was walking into the person God had called him to be. Long before we had a word for it, I would tell you Francis was an ecologist. Francis saw that all of life was caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Those words are Dr. King's about racial discrimination in Alabama, but they are words that Francis could have used in 12th century Italy as well. We are all bound together. We can't just think as individuals about what is best for me. Our collective survival depends on learning to think together ecologically. If you'll permit me, before I sit down, I want to play with this idea of ecology and faith just a little bit more. I think a lot of the problem of our so-called literalist or fundamentalist theology, what's come about in recent centuries of Christianity, is that it, like so much of our culture, is overly individualistic. In this sort of faith, I worry about my personal salvation. I worry about my individual sin. In this case, sin seems so very small. Sin is about whether I curse too much, I do, or what my sex life looks like. Sin, in this view, is about whether I violate certain cultural taboos as an individual. But when Jesus talked about sin, he usually talked more ecologically, didn't he? Jesus talked about the religious authorities who used their power to oppress. Jesus invited the rich young rulers to give up their wealth and share with the poor. Jesus thinks about sin systemically. Jesus thinks about the ways that we buy into cultural norms that hurt whole groups of people that harm our neighbor and our planet. Jesus' vision of sin has the capacity to actually confront our climate crisis. I said at the outset of this sermon, there are two approaches to ecological questions in our day, panic and delight. I'd suggest to you that panic won't get us very far. Panic is a function of our primordial lizard brain, after all. Panic helps us to raise our heart rate and our endorphins, prepare us for fight or flight. But the planetary questions that we are facing, they don't work on that time scale. Panic doesn't serve us well for the long haul. The kind of response we will need to muster isn't just individual, and it isn't fast. We will have to make a whole series of slow, collective societal shifts. And part of the vocation of being human is learning to see and function on a higher and slower level. We have the capacity to move beyond panic, to see whole systems, to slow down and be intentional about how we will engage our environment, to notice patterns. In order to make ecological change, more of us, I think, need to spend more time connected to nature. We need to spend time out on hikes, sleeping under the stars, and yes, noticing these weird new mosquitoes that have made their way to Albuquerque. We need to take time to delight in the purple asters blooming right now in the bosque. 
I got to spend some time with a parishioner, Alita Saunders, this week, and I didn't know that they had this name, but she called them Michaelmas daisies. Yeah, she said that back um, in the early days of St. Michael's, the altar at Michaelmas just last week would have been covered in Michaelmas daisies that people brought from their own yards. We used to move on different time scales. And she also noticed they were really cheap because they were just everywhere. <laughs> but we have the capacity to slow down, to function this way. We have the ability to listen to the sound of the wind in the trees. Francis of Assisi, like Jesus before him, was famous for escaping out into nature. He spoke of the sun as his brother, the moon as his sister. Francis wrote hymns, like the one we started with in this service, to creation. He performed miracles among the wild animals. Francis understood that his story was just a small part in the wider ecology of grace. A little later today, after the 1130 service, we'll bless animals in Francis's name. We'll remember that the creatures we share our lives with are also part of the expansive work of God. We'll remember that we are meant to be but a small part of a greater picture, so we can afford to take the time to be grateful, to be generous, to delight. None of us individually can make much change for the sake of planetary systems. We will have to share the burden. The work will be slow and subtle and humble. And there will be time, there must be time, to find delight in creation. Yes, there are reasons to lament, but don't buy into societal panic. Creation is still God's first language. If we listen, God is still speaking this world and us into being. God still invites us to lay down our heavy burdens and to know that within us and all around us, there is something worth saving. Amen.